often greatly impacts our lives and how we interact with other people and the family that we're a part of now. And sort of our key verse was found in Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, where Joshua says, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And one of the things that the people of Israel did in that passage to make that dedication to God is they created a marker for the covenant. And they gathered stones together to every time they would pass by that place, they would remember that their house lives differently because they are serving the Lord. So we did something very similar. We gave you guys this sort of declaration that breaks down what a house is. And we walk through all of these things to be holy, separate, obedient, united, serving everyone. And we challenged you. We said we want every member of your household to sign this frame this and put this somewhere in the home where when you pass by it every day, this is the goal and this is the direction for our family. If you didn't get one of those today when you come by for communion, we still have those up here available for you. And we said that it's massively important for us to define who we are as a family and to declare where we are going. Because we said that the um, impact and the pressure from the world to define what you as a family should be is immense every single day. Even there in that passage, Joshua says, listen, you have to put away the gods of your fathers, the cultural gods in the town surrounding, and you need to worship the Lord your God alone. And so that's the direction that we've been going in this series. And today we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at what God's Word says about this concept and idea of marriage. And Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3 are probably some of my favorite um, sections in all of the Bible. Because it tells you what it was supposed to be like. And it also gives you the reasons why it's not that way um, anymore. But any time that I speak on the topic of marriage, I find myself um, greatly inadequate um, for the task. And I'm reminded of what Martin Luther said, the great Protestant reformer. He said, I'm just another beggar pointing to where the bread is at. And so today I do not stand above you. I stand alongside you. Um, feel free to call my wife and ask for any stories of my shortcomings or anything like that because today we are all in the same boat together because we all need the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And so, um, you know, I've said that we did this series a number of years ago and it was very impactful for our church. And any time that I speak on a topic that I've spoken on before, I sort of go back and look at my old sermon notes and go, oh, dear God, what have I done or something like that. And as I was looking back, um, you know, I, I, I was looking at those sermons and I thought that's that's good information. But but now my wife and I have been married a little bit over a decade, having been pastor here for a while and walking with couples, dating, doing a bunch of marriages, doing marriage counseling. There was something that was sort of just rising to the surface as I looked at those old sermons. And, and maybe this illustration will help. A number of years ago, um, my wife in a conversation was talking about wanting to get some plants um, in the house. 
And so I guess that's like a thing now to like get plants in the house and stuff. And I don't have a green thumb. I'll kill a fake plant in a heartbeat, okay? Like, we, I, you know, I just don't have that. So in the conversation, I was listening. I was paying attention, right? So I thought I could get my game on, okay? So I went to a local flower shop, got a nice plant, all right, okay? And it was one of those just because gifts, you know what I'm saying, right, okay, so it's just because, and so I had it delivered there, but what was cool about it was, is it was a plant that you could plant, you know, in a garden or around your house, not just one in the pot that goes there, just kind of there, so you could plant it, be a part of the garden, I thought, this is great, man, like, we'll plant this thing, it'll be there in the front of our house, it'll be like a symbol of our marriage, every time she passes by, she'll go, I just have the greatest husband in the world, like, this is what I'm thinking, Okay, this is what I'm thinking in my head, right? And so um, we get it. It's awesome. This is great. And then one day I was like, hey, I'm going to plant that out there. She was like, great. This is where I want it. So planted it. And then a couple days, you know, pull into the driveway. And, you know, like, guys, anybody with me? Like, every time we pull into the house, I'm like, hey, there's your plant over there. <laughs> you remember that time that you said you wanted a plant and I was listening and paying attention and I got you one? It's right there. It's just over there, okay? You know? <laughs> And um, I, I noticed in about a week's time, um, that plant was looking a little sleepy, <laughs> okay, a little sleepy. So, you know, water it, do all that good stuff, and a few more days go by, and um, plant's looking real sleepy, okay? And I thought, oh God, I hope this is not a symbol of my marriage. <laughs> um, and sure enough, like we gave it enough time and the, the plant died and I was like, great, this is, you know, fail, okay, fail. So I go to, to dig it up and it, and, it, and it had the card there on it where I had written, you know, probably Shakespeare or something like that. Okay, I don't know, I can't remember. Okay, no, I did not write Shakespeare, okay. My wife would be like, what does this even mean? Like, you know, so I go to, and, and I look at it, and it wasn't just the, the tag that had the note card on it. Um, it also had the instructions on that, okay. And so I'm just full cards. I am not the hero of this story, okay. And sure enough, on, on the tag, it gave you specific instructions um, as to when to, to plant the plant in your... I didn't know. You're supposed to plant in dormant season, okay? Well, I don't know that, right? I'm like, it's good weather. It's nice. I don't think it's going to frost anytime soon. So I just planted it, and then sure enough, the plant died. And here, here's what I mean with all of this. When I look back on those older sermons, it was good information, But the more and more I walk this journey, the more and more I realize there are certain seasons in our lives and we have a certain amount of capacity for the information that we can retain in that specific season. So you can get great information. You can get a great book. You can get great information, but... If it's in the wrong season of your life, that book or that information does not make as much of a profound impact. And the same is true in the reverse. You could have a conversation with someone or somebody could recommend a book to you in the right season. And literally, that conversation or that book could change your life. Because it's all about 
the season of life that you're in. So today, as we look at this idea and this concept of marriage, the big idea and the thesis today is simply this. A key to a healthy marriage is knowing what season you are in. Now, that's a very specific sentence. A key to a healthy marriage. Because everybody comes in with the expectation of like, oh great, my, all my marriage is going to get solved today in one sermon or one book or this, that, and the other. But the reality is, is there's a number of tools, there's a number of keys, there's a lot of things that you need and you need them in the right seasons. And the word season is, is chosen very specifically because it's a word that the Bible uses to describe our lives. That seasons have a specific beginning and they have an end. They don't last forever. Um, well, here's just some scriptures for you. How about Psalm chapter 1, verse 3? He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yield its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. Psalm 1's talking about a righteous man who lives God's way as revealed in God's word. But it says that your life will show fruit in the proper season. So some of us might be bogged down. We might be doubting even our relationship with Jesus. We've been giving ourselves to Bible reading, to prayer, to all of these things. And you might find yourself disheartened because you think, that you should be showing fruit, but the reality is, is that the fruit shows in the right season. So you could be in a season of pruning or change or planting, but trust this, that fruit will come, but it comes in the right season. Or how about this in Proverbs chapter 15? To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word is in season. Oh, how good it is. This verse is talking about the proper word in the proper time. Man, so much more the longer I live, I find out it's not so much about what you say as much as it is how you say it and when you say it. And what this Proverbs is saying is when somebody says that, that wisdom or that truth or that Bible verse that you've been familiar with all your life, but when it comes to you in the right season for you to receive it, it changes everything. Or how about probably the most famous verse in the Bible when it comes to seasons? is Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Remember this, we walk through the whole book of Ecclesiastes. For everything... There is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And then the writer goes on to say a time to laugh, a time to cry. All of those things are appropriate in their season. So when it comes to looking at what God's word says about marriage, I think a key, a defining point for us is to know what season of marriage we are actually in. Are we dating? Are we newly married? Are we engaged? Are we seasoned in this thing? What does this look like for us? Because in those seasons requires different things for us as well. Or how about this? How about just some seasons and transitions that happen in people's lives? Um, how about some of these relocation? 
you move. Um, when, when Courtney and I got married, literally four weeks later, I moved her away from the house and the town. Her whole family lived in one single neighborhood, and I moved her to St. Louis where we didn't know a soul. Like, do you think that had an effect on our marriage? Huh. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it did. Um, job change. Children, okay, right? I'm just going to go ahead and say, if somebody's like, oh, you know, children, they don't change much. They're lying, okay? Get behind me, Satan, all right? They are a joy, but they change everything. They change everything. And if they're like, oh, after one, it doesn't really matter. That's a lie, too. That's a lie, too. All right? Kids change everything. They change everything. Sickness, bankruptcy, empty nest. We see this in a season where for years and decades, a couple has spent time together raising kids, and now they're not only off to college, but they're starting their own families. And now there's a season of transition. How do we relate to each other? Now we actually have this time. What does this look like? Listen, all of these things affect your marriage, and they can affect it for better or for worse. And if you try to apply certain things in these certain seasons, it might not work because that's not the proper season for that tool or that truth or that understanding. And so today I want to do something different. I'm going to try to be absolutely as practical as I can. Because when we look at Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, we see this sort of cadence this rhythm, if you will. The Bible opens with this great and awesome God. Before there was anything, there wasn't something. Before there was anything, there was someone. There was this God who speaks and things come into existence. And we see, and God said, and it was, and God said, and it was. And God literally creates the universe, cosmos, and the world as we know it. And then he makes human beings in his own image and likeness. And it says he created them male and female. And then the verses that were read to you, we see literally what scholars say is the first wedding ceremony that God has and sees Adam. And, and the only thing that's not good in all of this creation, and God said and it was good, and God said and it was good, and the only thing that's not good is that Adam was alone. And the reason why is because he was created in the image and likeness of God. And this God is the triune God. And it's so, such a hard thing to understand. And I wish I had an illustration, but it's the profound mystery. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Before time, listen, before there was anything, there was a relationship of love. And in order for human beings to reflect their creator, God said, I have to make Another person, another person that will complement, not complete, somebody that's going to be different, but at the same time, they will be unified. And it's a diversity that's a unity in order to reflect this trinity. And we see in those verses that God creates the woman. And ladies, this is so cool. Um, in that word, when it says that, that God created the woman, 
Um, in Genesis 1, when it says that God created man, the word created is like hammers and nails, you know, just like, mm, mm, like saws, hammer, like fashioned in doing that. But when it says that he created the woman, it literally means that God molded with his hands the woman. And then there's this beautiful moment where it says that God the Father brings Eve to Adam. And Adam sees Eve. And he's like, hey girl, hey, right? He's like, yo, I just spent time naming the animals. And that's different, okay? That's not like anything else that I've seen. And in your Bible, um, when Adam says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, it's bracketed. It's, it's different in your Bible than the rest of the scripture because it's actually a poem. Adam sees Eve and he breaks out in song, like a Barry Manilow song right there in Genesis. And he sings to Eve. And we see this beautiful thing happen. And then God blesses them and gives them commands in Genesis 2. And then in Genesis 3, they're tempted by the enemy. In Genesis 1, 2, and 3, we literally see different seasons that Adam and Eve are in in their marriage. We see the design and we see the roles that they're to play. And then the outcome of those roles, but at the same time, we also see the different obstacles. So whenever you came in, you got a listening guide today that has a graph on it, and it looks like this. So here's what I want to do. I want you to have your Bible with you so you know this tattooed preacher isn't making any of this up. And you can see it in your Bible, and here's what I want to look at. I want to look at the seasons that they're in, the roles that they have in those seasons... What's the outcome of those roles in that season? And what is the obstacle that God's word says about that season of marriage? Listen, I'm going to try to be as clear and as applicable as I can. The first season that we see is face to face. That's the first season. If you look there in Genesis chapter 2, verse 22, it says this, and the, Lord, and, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made, there it is, fashioned into a woman. And then here's the phrase, and brought her to the man. And then Adam said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of me. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And then here it is. Verse 25 is huge. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Oh my goodness, there is so much going on in these verses. But I want you to notice two things that God brings Eve to Adam face to face and there's something that happens and we see that Adam breaks out in song. And then verse 25 says that they were naked and unashamed. Now you have to understand something about ancient literature, okay? That, that nakedness was equated to shame and guilt. That's why when Jesus was crucified on the cross, he was crucified naked. It was humiliating to be seen like that. But before there was sin, before there was anything, the man and the woman stood before each other and they saw each other. Now here's what I mean. 
they saw each other. Literally, the word means the mingling of souls. And so what are the roles in this season? The roles in this season are lovers and friends, just like little John and Usher taught us in that song, okay? Some of you got it, great, awesome. This is the role now. This is Adam. It was not good before, but it's good now. And now the outcome of these roles is intimacy. And oh, it's so much more than just sex. It is emotional. It is spiritual. That word adode literally means the mingling of souls. And in God's word, the very definition of marriage is that the one man and the one woman in one lifetime should become one flesh. That's financial, that's physical, that's emotional, that's spiritual. That's all of that that is taking place. And by the way, those verses are not only said by Moses in the book of beginnings in Genesis, but Jesus. In Matthew chapter 18, when the Pharisees come along and try to corner him about divorce, Jesus says these words, it not be that way as it was in the beginning. And then Jesus quotes these verses, but it doesn't end there because later on in the book of Ephesians, the apostle Paul would quote these very verses again. So listen, if Moses, Jesus, and Paul quote these verses, it's probably pretty important, right? And we see that this is ultimately God's design, for a man and for a woman, distinct and different, a unity that is a diversity to come together to reflect the Trinity. I love what one biblical scholar said. This reveals man as a social being made for fellowship, not power. He will not live until he loves, giving himself away to another on his own level. So the woman is presented wholly as his partner and counterpart. Nothing is yet said of her as a child bearer. She is valued for herself alone. This is the beauty of that. And the outcome of this is this beautiful intimacy. But what in the world, how could there ever be an obstacle about this season of marriage? And by the way, can I say, the roles as lovers and friends is very important for the word and in there. Because oftentimes our society or an approach to marriage will say that you have to focus on the lover's aspect or the friend's aspect. But the reality is, is a healthy marriage understands the balance of both of those things. So what could be the obstacle? Well, the obstacle is, is we now read this in light of Genesis 3. And so the obstacle in this season is sustainability. Yes, this is the ideal. Yes, these are the roles. Yes, this is the outcome. But the difficulty now for us on this side of Genesis 3 is to sustain this. As we'll see in just a little bit, if God's design for marriage is we, because of our sinful bend and brokenness, we constantly drift to me, not we. 
So because of our sinful brokenness, we naturally shift to me, not we. And so now it requires work. One of the greatest illustrations and a picture for marriage is a garden, is a garden. And, and, and actually, we'll learn in a couple of weeks when we look at the roles of husbands and wives, one of the etymology of the word husband literally means a gardener, one who tends the garden. And the only way a garden is healthy is if you take care of it, if you pull the weeds and you plant the right things in season. This is God's ideal design for marriage. And so the second season that I see is not face-to-face, but it's this, side-by-side, side-by-side. Look in Genesis chapter 1, it says this, So God created mankind in His own image. In verse 27, So God created mankind in His own image, and in the image of God He created them. Male and female He created them. And then here it is, verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, Hey, can I pause really quickly? This isn't even in my notes, but it's good, and I feel like preaching. Is that okay today? Long before, long before God ever pronounces a curse, God pronounces a blessing over humanity. Please listen to me. If your theology and your framework starts with the badness of man or the brokenness of creation, that is a poor anti-biblical theology because the Bible starts with the goodness of God and the blessing of God over humanity. Before God ever does anything, he blesses Adam and Eve and says, this is good. And that's why in here today, as Billy Graham used to say, every human heart has a God-shaped hole in it. And what we've done is we've run from that original blessing and we've tried to fill that void with status, with money, with substances, with whatever it is because we were made for the original blessing. God blessed them and said this, be fruitful and increase in number. Here it is, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. Every hunter and fisherman's life verse right there, right? And over every living creature that moves on the ground. What's God saying? Long before sin, we were still designed and made for work. Wah, wah, wah. Okay, right? It's like bad news. You're like, oh, I thought work was because of the fall. No, 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 no. Our God is a creating God. And if we are created in his image and likeness, then he wants us to partner with him in the creation. So long before there was ever sin and long before the earth would fight back at us, as God would say, because of the curse, we were commanded and called to expand the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. That's the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And please listen to me. The gospel is not some sort of fire insurance that you say one prayer when you were young and you never read the Bible and you never go to church, but by God, you know one day that when you die, you're going to go to heaven. What a horrible way to live. God's plan for your life is that heaven would intervene earth now in the here and now, that the kingdom of God would break through in your life now. That's always been the goal. 
And so when we see them to be side by side, their roles in this season are partners and co-laborers together. That now they can't sustain and stay in the face-to-face. They turn and they are side by side. And they labor together. And the outcome in this season is advancement. And, and listen, this is true of us even today. That maybe um, you're a couple and you're buying a house together. Or you're starting a business together. Or you're raising kids together. Whatever you're doing in those seasons, you have to shift into a side-by-side mentality. And your co-laborers, you're raising these kids. You're starting this business. You're living this life. You are building a family as co-laborers. So what could be the obstacle in that season? Well, most of the time it comes down to the duration. And if that season happens for a long time, the obstacle becomes apathy. Apathy toward your lover and friend. Because you've been in the season of kids, of business, of house, or whatever that season is, that you find yourself side by side, co-laboring together, because this obstacle is sustainability, you find yourself, well, this is when soulmates become roommates. And this is the season when people become empty nesters and they go, gosh, I don't even know what to do for fun with my husband or my wife now because we haven't had those seasons. And so now there's a level of apathy that comes in. And please let me tell you this. Some of the most dangerous things that can happen in your marriage is the feeling of apathy toward your partner. And here's why. The opposite of love is not hate. Hate requires passion. That's why nobody in the world, in the world can make me as mad as my wife, right? Nobody, and you know this to be true. Why? Because I don't love anybody in the world like I love my wife. There's that connection there. But the moment that you just go, you know, I'm just tired. I don't really care what happens anymore. That is a dangerous season to be in. So the second season is side by side, you're co-laborers, you're advancing. And and, and what's so scary about this season is from the outside, everything looks good. So the kids are being raised, the house, the business, the whatever like that. From the outside, it looks good. But the reality is, and then that's when you hear of the heartache of what's gone on. And oh my goodness, it's because this season has gone on for a while. The third season that I see in the scriptures is this, not face-to-face, not side-by-side, but back-to-back. We see this in Genesis chapter 3. It says this in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts. Oh, let's do this. Let's have fun reading the Bible. We do this every once in a while, right? When I say the serpent, I want you to go, dun, dun, dun. Is that okay? Is that all right? God forbid you have fun in church reading the Bible. That'd be horrible. Revival might break out or something, okay? Here we go. Now the serpent was more crafty than any, any of the other beasts in the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say that you shall not eat of 
any tree in the garden. So we talked about this last week about the attack on the family. And it always comes as an attack to God's word. And I noticed this this week. Isn't it funny that the enemy says, well, didn't God say that you can't eat of anything in the garden? Anything? Wrong. God actually said you can eat of everything but one tree. And so what is the enemy trying to do besides doubt God's word? He's already trying to show you the restriction that God has on you. And, and, and young people, please listen to this. This is massively crucial for you. This is the temptation that you will face in your season of life. That God's commands are not good. They are restricting to me. That's what the enemy wants. But in reality, God's permission far outweighs God's restriction. And that's good news. And so he begins to doubt God's word. And then it drops down and they have this conversation. And, um, you know, we'll learn next week. Hey, guys, look up here. Um, if your wife, uh, girlfriend, fiance, ever talking to a snake, okay, um, or the devil, um, just interrupt that conversation, all right? Just, just step right in there and go, hey, I don't think this is supposed to be happening, okay? This is a little awkward, right? But we see that Adam is there. He does not step in in verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her passive husband who was with her. It's, it's there. It's just in the Hebrew. It's there. And he ate. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together. And they made themselves loincloths. This is so heartbreaking. Look at verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Do you see the parallelism? It's the opposite now. Rather than going to God, they run away. They know they're naked. There's shame. There's guilt. But as the conversation was taking place, they were back to back. They were being tempted. Um, well, their roles in this season is they were defenders or protectors. I mean, it was the moment of temptation. Did God really say, nah, God's holding out on you. And I mean, in the heart and mind, there is a battle that's going on. And then Eve distorts God's word. And she's like, well, God said that you can't touch. And then she's adding stuff. And then it's, and they were back to back. And the outcome of this season of back to back is that they're stationary. Please understand this. If you were in a season Let's just, let's just bridge the text to your life and application. Maybe you're in a season and you have a prodigal child. Maybe you're in a season and there's bankruptcy. Maybe you're in a season and there's family conflict. Maybe you're in a season and there's sickness. There's something going on where the person that you were face-to-face -face, and then there was a season of side-by-side, -side, but now it turns to back-to-back. -to -back, and you know this to be true that when you are defending something, you are not advancing. You are stationary and you are staying still. And anything that is stationary begins to become stagnant. And what's the outcome or the obstacle of this season of being back-to-back -back and defenders? It's exhaustion. Do you know what I've learned about suffering and trials? 
It's not the depth. It's not the depth, though that is difficult. Um, It's not the darkness either. It's not the darkness. It's the duration. It's the duration. If it's a season of sickness, if it's a season of conflict, if it's a season of spiritual warfare, and I know what you're saying, spiritual warfare, man, we're talking about marriage. Oh, by the way, what was the first thing that the enemy attacked? A marriage. And he's been doing it ever since. What breaks couples is the duration of the season of back-to-back. It's just a level of exhaustion in that season. There's no more energy to get back to -to face-to-face. There's no more energy for the uh, intimacy and in those seasons. And then, because of that, we now find the last season, which is not face-to-face or side-by-side or back-to-back. It's toe-to-toe. Now remember, um, remember Adam's song. Remember the hey girl, hey days, right? And ooh, look at you, and wow, and this is incredible. Yeah, um, drop down and look in verse 12. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. (gasps) That's no good, buddy, okay? Listen. What we see here is this big ball of responsibility getting passed on to the next person. Because, um, ladies, please don't get so self-righteous, okay? Because the woman said, the serpent, the devil made me do it, right? What do we see happening here? We see responsibility getting rejected and getting passed. Please listen to me. May I be so bold as to say as when you're driving to work and you're gripping that steering wheel and you're saying, well, things would be fine if she would just come and apologize because it's all way, and I'm right here. I ain't got no problems. I'm mad about nothing. I'm ready for her to come. When she comes, do you understand that you're engaging in spiritual warfare and a sin that's happened all the way from the garden? Because the same conversation's happening on the other side. And we see it played out over and over and over again. And can I just submit, can I just submit to us, what if, what if instead of constantly questioning God's word as to the way things should be, what if we tried it? Because I don't know about you, but I am weary to my bones of seeing the wake of devastation of everything else that we've tried. And at some point, could we be so humble to submit ourselves under God's word and say, I'm not going to pass the responsibility, I'm going to accept it. Because by the way, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's a gospel issue. It's always a gospel issue. I don't care if it wasn't you who initiated it. I don't care if it's not your problem. It is your problem if it's her problem because the two shall become one. It's always a gospel issue. And what are your roles in the season of toe-to-toe? You're fighters. Do you know the etymology of the phrase toe-to-toe is an old boxing term? where they would have guys literally stand toe-to-toe, and that comes from whenever they would do the weigh-in and the face-off. It still happens today. After they weigh in, they stand face-to-face, and they're getting ready to duke it out. And what's the outcome of this? It's conflict. It's conflict. 
But do you know what's the most devastating about conflict? And we see it all in the passage. It's separation. It's distance. Because what did Adam and Eve do when they heard God? They ran. And so now, as the conflict carries on into the season, and as you see yourself in this season of fighting, the distance happens, and the distance happens, and the apathy sets in, and all of that. But I come bearing good news. This reality of face-to-face can be lived in. Because if you drop down and if you look in verse 16, God says these words. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. Ladies, you can thank Eve for that. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. There it is. Um, can I just say, and this is the Bible. I'm just reading the Bible here, okay? So you can send your email. I won't read it. All right, this is great. <laughs> Ladies, this is your struggle. Well, I just wish I had a man that would lead me and not be so passive all the time. And then watch that joker get filled with the Spirit, read his Bible, and start leading you. Then you're going to be in my office fighting, going, well, I'd like a little freedom in my life. Just saying, right? And the conflict is there from the beginning. But God makes a promise. He says this, if you continue to drop down. If you drop back up, I'm sorry, in verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, God speaking to the enemy, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. If you see your word offspring there, you have a little number next to that in your Bible. If you drop down, it'll say that that word offspring means seed. But God's speaking, he's speaking to the woman and to the enemy, and if we know biology, the woman doesn't carry seed. What Genesis 3.15 is, is the proto-evangelium. It means the first gospel. God is promising here the virgin birth of Jesus Christ that Mary would be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. And look how specific it says, He and His heal. That's a specific singular person. I don't know what season that you're in, but I come bearing good news. That marriage was designed to reflect the gospel. And God loved us so much that the separation and the chasm that separated us, he stepped into. And God absorbed the blow. And oh, listen to this. Just the way that Eve took the fruit and gave to her husband, there would be a rabbi thousands of years later that would sit down at a table. And he would get bread. And he would break it. And he would eat. And he would give it to his disciples. And he would say that this bread and this cup is now my body given in the new covenant for you. God's writing one story. And so listen, next week we're going to get into roles. We're going to get into what does a woman's, what, is, what does this look like? What does it look like for a man? What does it look like for a woman? We're going to get into all of that. But right now today, I need you to ask yourself a couple questions as we close in response. The first question is, is very simply this. What season are you in? What season are you in? Um, just recently, uh, we took a trip, and, and we were downtown, and I was trying to get to a location, and I was typing in the address of the location, and my GPS couldn't get me there, 
because I had my location services turned off. And, and so finally, when I turned that back on, my GPS kicked in, and it could tell me where to go. But don't miss this. My GPS could only tell me where to go when it knew where I was at. And I know we all have visions for our marriage, and we want these tools. But listen, you can't know where you're going until you first confess where you are at and what season you're in. And the second question is this, what is the Spirit saying to you in this season? What is the Spirit of God saying to you in this season? And then the last question is this, what are you going to do about it? You see, the third question and how you answer it is where discipleship happens. It's not to just be a learner of God's Word, but rather a doer of it. I love the way that Tim Keller summarizes marriage through all of the seasons. He says this, Within this Christian vision of marriage, here's what it means to fall in love. It is to look at another person face to face and get a glimpse of what God is creating and to say, I see who God is making you and it excites me and I want to be a part of that. I want to partner with you and God in this journey that you are taking to his throne. And when we get there, I will look at your magnificence and say, I always knew you could be like this. And I got glimpses of it on earth. But now look at you. That's what marriage is. Committing for the long haul. So what season are you in? As we close in prayer and when we come for communion, we're going to have some board members up here on the side. And we would be so remiss not to offer a time of prayer for anybody who wants that. If you're single, if you're engaged, if whatever season that you are in, please come and let the Lord bless you today. Heavenly Father, we come before you so thankful for your word. Thankful, as Proverbs 15 says, a word in season today. And God, all across the spectrum, from face to face, side to side, back to back, or toe to toe, all of us in this room are in some sort of season. So God, I just pray for the boldness of humility today that maybe a couple steps out and says, I can't continue down the path of apathy anymore. It's starting to get dangerous and the indifference I feel scares me. God, I pray against the enemy, his workers and their effects. The reason why the marriage is attacked is because marriage matters. It matters as a representation of your kingdom. So I pray for boldness. I pray for strength. And I pray for everyone who is in that committed relationship or getting ready to step into that season that they would hear the blessing of the Father over their life and they would hear a resounding, don't give up. Don't give up. His grace is sufficient and His power is made perfect in weakness. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We pray this all in the Holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ.